I'm very excited about today because we're going to start our Jubilee Culture Series, the much-awaited. So this is the first of six weeks of uh, me talking about culture. So we're going to do this right up till the middle of July, probably, or the first week of July or two. And uh, we're looking at the culture of Jubilee Church. And we last looked at this in the spring of 2012. So who was around for that? 2012, last looked at it. Well, since then, we've had quite a few different people join us. Uh, There's been a few things developed and grown. And so we just felt as leaders we needed to look at our culture again and the kind of church that we want to be. And we went through a whole process. In fact, we spent most of the year doing this. Uh, We started, first of all, with the leadership team uh, saying, what aspect of our culture are we already seeing? Uh, what do we want to add to this? And uh, we wrote up all kinds of words. We then went to s- several wider groups of people, uh, went to life group leaders, um, the, the church fa- um, family night, sorry, the family night. But my favorite was the kids. I loved what the kids wrote on their little scraps of paper. Just amazing things. In fact, one of the kids says that what they saw about Jubilee Church is we needed more people and bigger. So I I quite like that. It's great, from the words of a child. So we had all these then descriptive words, lots and lots of different words that described what Jubilee Church was like. So we then had to try and bring that down to a reasonable number of words uh, and, you know, I've got to just say, during that whole process, we were just so encouraged uh, about how much agreement there was amongst people on what they saw in the church now, what they saw in the church that was coming, just a real sense of unity. It's been a fantastic exercise, a very positive ex- exercise. But then we took these words and we tried to drill them down a bit, and we prayed over them, we looked at Bible verses, We debated, not argued. We had some different views, but we brought them all together because what we were looking for is just five words which summed up what everybody had said. So you can imagine that was quite a challenge. And so the conclusion of all this work is what I want to share with you, introducing it today and then unpack it over the next five weeks. Is that exciting? We're really excited about that. So first of all, then, what is culture? Well, culture for us is about the kind of church that we want to be. I mean, think about it. What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do you want to be part of? So culture sets out the boundaries that enables us to answer these questions. I mean, everywhere you look, you find examples of culture. You've got your own family culture or way of doing things. So, for example, the culture of holidays. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> when we go on holiday, we lo- the first thing I do is take my watch off and I just don't look at the time at all. Some friends of ours, when they go on holiday, they have a timetable and they have all these exercises, as far as I'm concerned, these exploits, climbing mountains, skiing, goodness knows what else. And that is the last time I'm ever going on holiday with them. I came back after a week completely exhausted. That is not a holiday. The route march across London nearly killed me. <coughs> so that's a culture, isn't it? And then there's a, a culture in your workplace. 
pervading culture. I mean, maybe the culture of your workplace is the long hours culture. I used to work for a firm like that. It had a long hours culture. And you can tell how strong that culture is when one day you want to leave early and everybody scowls at you. It's just like it's really bad to leave early. The fact that I've finished all my work has nothing to do with it. There's just this long hours culture. And But all groups of people have their own culture or ways of doing things. And you pick it up when you get to know them or as you try to fit in or become a part of that group. And like other groups, churches have their own particular culture. And what I've realized, having been part of several churches over the years, is that culture can either make or break a church. I mean, this is because what is cultivated or allowed to grow amongst a group of people defines it, and so that will either limit it and confine it, or it will cause it to thrive and grow. But bottom line, culture needs to be cultivated. So to use Jesus' words, we need to be careful what we sow, because we're sure it's what we will reap. And this is why this teaching fits in so well with this big theme that we're living with at the moment of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God needs to be cultivated amongst us. I mean, if you just want to turn to the book of Matthew for a moment, there's just a very famous verse, or it'll come up on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe. That word there literally means God. Teach them to guard. Teach them to guard the way that I've shown you to do things. Teach them to guard the teaching that I have given you. There's something to be guarded that means to be cultivated or to create a culture. I mean, think about it in your garden at home. If you, if you wanted to turn a part of your garden over to vegetables, the first thing you have to do is to clear the ground of everything else and establish a border which you are then to grow vegetables. And then you have to guard it. Maybe get some netting to stop the birds getting it and, and weed around it. It needs to be cultivated and weeded so that the vegetables can be produced. And you water it. You tend the ground until it produces what you want. Well, that's what I want us to do. So I want us to do as a church to deliberately create a healthy church environment, a culture to grow some really good stuff in. That's what I want. Is that where you want to be in a church like that? I'm so glad. (laughs) Sorry, my creaky voice isn't quite doing it for me. I'm not very good at preaching quietly. I thought if I come up here and whisper, maybe that will work. So anyway, we think it's right to talk about culture at this stage. And we're going to keep talking about culture. We're going to come back to it again in the future and keep revisiting it. And now that's because of strategic reasons, to make sure that we're kept on track with what we feel God has put in our hearts for the church. But it's also for three other reasons I just want to share with you today. First of all, biblical reasons, sociological reasons, 
and missional ones. First of all, biblical reasons. I mean, you'll be glad to know that culture isn't just an idea that the world has come up with, and it's one of those trendy phrases. It runs throughout the Bible, the whole idea of culture. God has always been interested in culture. I mean, for a start, everything started in a garden that he then put a man in and says, I want you to cultivate this. I want you to make it beautiful. I want you to look after it. It started with culture in Genesis chapter 2. And then God turned his attention to a group of people. In Genesis 15, God made a promise to Abraham, not only to a group of people actually, but also to a land that they were to cultivate, that they were to grow into, that they were to spread through, to live in and to thrive. And then in the book of Exodus, God gives laws to Moses to govern and protect his people, to give them boundaries and laws to protect them and their interactions with God and with one another. It was the first civilization to do it in that way. And when we come into the New Testament, we find the words of Jesus, and we've been looking at them, haven't we, in the Beatitudes, where he sets out the culture of his kingdom, which is just mind-blowing if you think about the realities and the consequences of what that would mean. The poor in spirit. I'm so excited about that because I'm one of those people. The poor in spirit get to see God. I'm so pleased about that. And then we come to Paul's teaching on the church. The church is the ecclesia, the called out people, a a community of God's people. And then his letters tell us how the church is to be done, how church is to be done, and how within this group of people uh, they are to be treated and how they should relate to one another. Have you ever thought of the Bible like that? That's what it's about, saying, look, this is how you're meant to be. This is how the church actually works. This is how you're meant to do church forgiving one another, loving one another deeply from the heart. Think about that. So the Bible is all about culture. And so it's important that we follow this example of cultivation. I want to cultivate good things amongst us. But there are also sociological reasons. You know, people come up with their own culture and way of doing things. So in any group, you find that if you don't define a culture, it will be defined for you. And you can end up with something you really don't want. Uh, I mean, decisions have to be made about culture. Alison and I found this when we got married. There were two different cultures, two different families, two different ways of doing things, traditions, coming together or perhaps clashing together. And there are all kinds of things I could give you as examples, but I don't want to depress you. But let's take, for example, Christmas, or even birthdays. I mean, my family was never big on either of these things. I mean, take it from, I mean, I I actually forgot my own 18th birthday. That's how bad it was. I just, for the whole day, I'd forgotten it was my birthday. And it's an 18th birthday. That's how bad we thought birthdays were. We just didn't do birthdays. So you'll never get a card from me even now. I just don't even think about it. I'm so glad that Facebook exists. (laughs) But if your birthday isn't on Facebook, I probably won't remember, so forgive me. It's just not in my thinking. But these kinds of excess in our family background, as that's how it was seen, excess, the commercialization of Christmas. You know, all these cards, it's just commercialism. 
So, can I feel you? Is anybody with me on this? <clears throat> Alison. I mean, if you've been around Alison at Christmas, you'll know what she's like. I mean, she, they just, her family just went totally to, to, to town on Christmas. They just, they start Christmas around about August. And, uh, I mean, even last year we were in France and there you're not meant to get English TV, but somehow we managed to and we watched It's a Wonderful Life in August. Well, they got excited about celebrating things like birthdays and Christmas and they bought stuff and they sang silly songs like New Year's Eve. Old Lang Syne. I've never got the words for that and I've never understood why anybody sung it. But they sing it and they all hold hands and kick their legs in the air. Oh, I feel so much better telling you guys about this. <laughs> but you know, those things were real tensions for a few years. But now, you know, I've really learned to appreciate Alison and how she's helped me to celebrate things like Christmas. I really enjoy Christmas now. You know, I played the part of Scrooge at school. I couldn't do it anymore. I like Christmas too much. I really do. I've learned to enjoy special occasions and having family traditions. I enjoy it now. But you see, if you don't take the time to properly define your culture, to sit down and talk about it, even as a couple, all you end up is clashes or disagreements, and you can't live together happily. And often when you don't define culture, what you end up with is something very negative. I don't understand this, but it's something about people. In any group of people, have you noticed how often it's the... The negative view, oh, the weather's dreadful today, isn't it? Have you noticed how people do that and everybody says, yeah, it's dreadful. Oh, it's not as bad as yesterday, though, is it? And people just go down this route and you're just sitting there, what just happened? You walked into a room and somebody says the weather's bad and everybody piles in. Or how it is that people start a bit of gossip or... The pessimistic comes in and before you know it, everybody's going down that route in any group of people. Why is it that that tends to dominate rather than the upbeat, the edifying, the positive? But if you don't determine, if you don't set your culture and say, look, this is how we're going to be. This is the tone that we want. You can end up going down all kinds of different routes. So if we want God's kingdom to come, We need to set out our stall for all that is in heaven to appear on earth. And God, you know, he's always positive. Did you know that? God is never negative. He's never negative. He's never pessimistic. He's never discouraging. So that's the kind of culture we want to positively define our culture where we're saying that this is how we are, this is how we're going to do things, intentionally mirroring what we know of in heaven and bringing it to earth. Is that okay with you? So the next reason why culture is so important is a missional reason. You know, the world really needs to see a church that lives out its kingdom mandate. 
I said, the world really needs to see a church that lives out its kingdom mandate. Doesn't it? And what do people in the world see of the church? It breaks my heart. Sometimes the things that people think about church or say about church is hardly ever anything positive on the news about the church. It's wrong. The church is the most amazing place to be in the whole world because that's where Jesus is. You know, I've said this before that uh, church is meant to be a taste of heaven on earth. It is. It's the dwelling place of God. And so when people encounter you, the church, they should encounter God and all that is in heaven because it is through the church. So do you know, it shouldn't surprise us if people encounter angels amongst us. It shouldn't surprise us if joy breaks out and we can't stop laughing in a meeting because God's kingdom is here. It shouldn't surprise us if people just get healed being amongst us. Not even praying for them, just the presence of God. Do you know, come out at the end of the meeting, I feel better. It's lifted the heaviness that I came in. That's what I expect to happen amongst us. You? How many times have you found it's been a real battle to get to church? And even walking through the door, you get there, you feel rubbish, and then halfway through the worship, suddenly you realize it's gone. That heaviness has just gone. The kingdom of God is here. but also when people encounter us outside of our meetings. Because, you know, we carry heaven in us. You know, we want people to sense this. I do. I want people to know that I'm a spirit-filled believer. I want them to encounter Jesus through me. I want people to experience peace around us or to feel loved and accepted. You know, my neighbor... Some of you will have heard I've been having some amazing conversations with my Sikh neighbor recently. and I've prayed with him and you wouldn't believe some of the stuff. He came around to see me on Saturday morning and it was such an inconvenient time. <laughs> Just make him a toast, you know? <laughs> so I turned the toaster off. Oh, all right then. Get to the door, open the door, and there he is with his massive box of chocolates, the biggest box of Thornton's chocolates I've ever seen in my life. And I said, what have you been up to? And he says, thank you for praying for me. I said, no, I don't accept chocolates in payment of prayer. Unless you're a Christian, then I don't mind. (laughs) And he said, it isn't payment. He says, I just felt so loved by you. I felt peace because of you. I said, well, you better give me a hug then, didn't you? And he gave me a hug right there on the doorstep and started to tell me some of the stuff that's going on and we need to keep praying for him. He's just, there's such a hunger in him to, to meet Jesus, <laughs> to meet God. He wants to know the real God, you see. We expect people to encounter Jesus through us, don't we? He felt peace because I've prayed with him. I expect people to get healed around me. Do you know, just this week, Alison was at school and uh, a lady came in and she said, I've got a terrible itch on my hand. She said, I don't know, what do you think it means? What's that all about? Alison says, what do you mean, what do you think it means? Well, you know, it's some kind of curse or something that's on me. Something's happened, something awful. 
It's some kind of omen. Alice says, oh, it's rubbish. She said, let me have a look at it. She said, oh, it's just some kind of allergy or something. She starts rubbing her finger like that. And she looked at Alison and said, Alison, are you healing me? Are you healing me? And Alison said, in Jesus' name, itching, stop now. And then she took her hand off and she just walked away. The girl walked away. Alison said, oh my goodness, what have I just done? I've prayed in a 90% Muslim school. We expect people to be healed. She could feel the anointing as Alison was touching her. Come on. Come on. Oh, come on. Isn't that amazing? Do you expect that when you touch somebody that they feel the anointing through you? Praise God. Or even we expect demons to cry out to be uncomfortable around us. Do you? Sometimes, you know, when you have problems in your workplace, it's because the demonic is uncomfortable around you. Sometimes things just come out of nowhere. Why are they attacking me? What have I done? And just hold on a minute, there's something going on here. (laughs) You know, I just had a text from somebody in our church. I'm not going to give her name for obvious reasons, but she just said, uh, you know, in her line of work, she has to go around and visit people in their home. That's part of her job. But for some reason, every time she went to a particular home, this woman just wouldn't be there for some reason. She'd disappear, she just wouldn't turn up, and so she had to speak to the rest of the family, but for some reason the woman didn't turn up. But eventually, when she goes to this house, the woman is there. And then it turns out, it transpires that the reason why this woman can't cope with this young lady from our church being in a house is because she's been involved in witchcraft and she feels incredibly uncomfortable when this young lady from our church goes round to her house. Come on. So what an amazing conversation she was able to have with her. These are all parts of heaven that can be experienced here on earth through you. Through you. Through us, the church. The church must be the place of the demonstration of God's imminent presence and power, just like Jesus showed us. And I think, guys, the world needs to see this. You know, the the world doesn't need a group of grumpy legalists who cannot agree on anything and are always falling out with one another, jockeying for position and taking their arguments into the media where the church just looks like it doesn't know what it's doing and doesn't know what it believes. The, The world doesn't need that. How do you think the world would respond to a group of people who are powerful, positive lovers of God? who really love people, who really care for their communities, who work hard and make a difference in their workplaces. How about this? A survey comes out in a couple of years' time that absolutely shows that Christians are the best people to employ in the workplace. Wouldn't that be good news? Wouldn't you love to see that in the news? The world desperately needs to see who the people of God are the salt of the earth, the light of the cosmos, people that project the image of the Father to all around them by the way that they live. That's what I'm going for. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to be a part of. I think those are three very good reasons to focus on our culture. Biblical, 
sociological and missional. I was interested to read, there's a book out called The Starbucks Experience. Have you ever seen that book? Excuse me. I thoroughly recommend that you read it. It's such an interesting book. It's about how Starbucks, the coffee chain, started and how it thrived. And do you know, Starbucks never did any advertising. And they still don't. You never see them on TV or anything like that. They've never done any advertising. All they've done is focus on their culture. So little things like the staff are trained to remember your name and all these kind of things. So the Starbucks experience is something that stands out from the rest. It started in a tiny little place in America, and now it's spread worldwide. Never spend anything on advertising. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. (laughs) That's a quote from Peter Drucker. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you're up for that then. We're going to focus on that. So let me give you the words now that uh, we've uh, come up with to define our culture. Um, Five different words over five different weeks. And first of all, I just want to give you the words, these cultural definitions and a little bit of explanation. So here they go. There's honor, you know that one, courage, authenticity, passion, and family. Those are the five words that have just summed up what everybody has said about the church uh, how they've described what it's like to be a part of Jubilee. And if we go on to the next page, I'll just show you, we've got some short headings now to describe what those words mean. First of all, honour is about receiving and releasing people to how God sees them. To how God sees them. That's why we can honour people, because we can see them through the lens of how God sees them. Secondly, courage is about encouraging and celebrating risk-taking faith. Encouraging and celebrating risk-taking faith. We want people to take steps of faith and to be brave, to step out and do things. We love to hear your stories. We love to hear about how you had this conversation and how that happened. And we want to get behind you and encourage you and say, come on, that's courageous, that's what we want. We want to be a courageous people that take steps like praying for somebody in the middle of the workplace. I know somebody else has done that this week, hey. I'm not going to mention your name on the tape, but ask him afterwards. Two great stories of just reaching out and praying for somebody in the workplace. Authenticity. That's about living transparently and truthfully without shame. Now, if we're starting to see people as God sees them, starting to release that destiny in people, then we can start to live more transparently. And not be ashamed. We know that we're all works in progress and that God's doing stuff in our lives. And passion. We want to be a passionate group of people pursuing God and his kingdom wholeheartedly and without inhibition. We want people to be expressive and celebratory in the way that we worship God, in the way that we live our lives. Passionate about God and family. Now, do you know, this has been the hardest one to, to give you the short version of, actually, because there's just so much we want to say and unpack uh, over the next few weeks. But we've come up with this. Family is about reflecting heaven's community on earth, showing love and acceptance to people everywhere. It's not an exclusive family that nobody else can be a part of. It's a family that we can take to the rest of the world. That's the idea behind that. Okay, so those are our five words. You happy with that? Are you happy to 
to be involved in that. I'd love to hear feedback. I'd love to hear what you feel and what you say about that would be great. But these words are the pillars of the culture that we believe God has called us to create in Jubilee Church. Now, some of these are already very much in place, um, but we don't want to be complacent. We want to remind you about them. We want to drill into them further and establish them more clearly. Others, I'd say, are slightly more aspirational. There's some things we still need to work on, but we're going to push into more of them and and explain what they mean for us as a community of people. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to live by these cultural values? Just very briefly, three things. Firstly, we're going to teach it. So I just want to explain these words to you and why we've chosen them over the next five weeks. And then we're going to just keep coming back to them. So they're not a memory test. Uh, They're not a memory test. So don't worry if you've forgotten them already. They're not a memory test. They're going to be so much part of us that we'll just do it. We'll just be it. Um, And I know that building culture takes time and it takes repetition. We need to just keep working on this doing a bit of weeding every now and again as we need to. And secondly, we just want you to take it on board. You know, for this, for this to work, everyone's got to play their part. So it could mean you could take this list home, we're going to email them out to you in the week. You could take it home and just pray over them. And then just start taking them to heart and finding ways of applying them, these principles, to your own life, to your family, to your relationships, and of course to one another. You know, it's not just about the gathered church on a Sunday that we try to do these things. It's also about when we're scattered through the week. I just had the most exciting conversation with somebody here recently who was going for an interview. And he asked me the question, he said, how much of Jubilee culture do you think I could take into my workplace? You've got it. That's what we're going for. That is so exciting. Thank you. All of it. All of it, these are principles we can live by for all of us. They sum up the gospel. They sum up uh, our calling and our vision as a church. So take it on board. Thirdly, talk about it. You know, for a culture to be established, it needs to be part of how we talk about the church and one another. So, for example, talking about being part of the Jubilee family is part of the way we can express that, being part of this church being part of the family, or understanding the courage it takes for somebody to step out in faith. You know, that's why we say, come on, let's cheer this person, let's encourage them. They're stepping out, we want to just get behind this. They're paying a cost here by doing that. And that's how we want to be with one another, cheering one another on, expressing that appreciation of one another as people step out in faith. Or if somebody brings something that's quite vulnerable, we want to be sensitive with that and and thank them for being courageous with their contribution and living authentically. So we believe that building according to these cultural definitions, they're kind of our own version. We've thought long and hard about this, and we feel like it's kind of our own version, our jubilee version, if you like, of some of those beatitudes. I'm not trying to compete with Jesus at all, but just some of the stuff that we just feel God's put in our hearts for how we do church. And I really believe that it will enable God's presence to flow freely and for his power to manifest strongly amongst us as we seek to live out these God-honoring attributes. We started um, 
in 2011 on this idea of culture with our foundational culture, which we needed to just get bedded in and just get clear, the culture of honour. And I was just so encouraged by how many people talked about the reality of experiencing the culture of honour whilst people are being amongst us, that they feel honoured, they feel appreciated, they feel that we believe in one another and expect one another to do well. So we want to just do that similarly with these other cultural uh, definitions.